This is the Turn on the Jets podcast, presented by Prime Sport. First and 10 New York at their own 20-yard line. Play action, Sanchez drops, pump fake, throws the bomb left side. He's got Braylon Edwards in stride at the 40, at the 30, Colt 20, 10, 5, touchdown, Braylon Edwards. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, we're going to be joined by two different guests. First, Danny Kelly of The Ringer, uh, one of the best NFL analysts out there. He covers the entire league for The Ringer. He used to also cover the Seattle Seahawks. So we're going to talk a little bit about big picture, what the Jets could learn from this past season in the NFL, and also get some thoughts from him uh, on Jeremy Bates, who was the Seahawks coordinator a few years back in 2010, and of course, make fun of him for Seattle hiring Brian Schottenheimer as their offensive coordinator. Then we're going to be joined by Jared Tokars, who is an NFL draft insider, uh, to focus down on the NFL draft, who is likely to be on the board when the Jets pick at six, where is this draft class particularly strong, where is it weak, and any other tidbits or you know rumblings he's hearing leading into draft weekend. Before we dive into our two interviews, want to remind you guys this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official sponsor and team partner of the New York Jets. Make sure to check out primesport.com slash turn on the Jets for more information on different events that they're promoting. We'll have hospitality packages for this offseason, including the Big East Tournament, March Madness, and then leading into all of the Jets home games once the schedule gets released. So again, that's primesport.com slash turn on the Jets. Make sure to follow them on Twitter and Facebook at Prime Sport. Also, this podcast is brought to you by Razor Sport. That's R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T dot com. With March Madness coming up, NBA and NHL in full swing, these are the best betting consultants you could find. Make sure you check out their website, join their members section, follow them on Twitter at Razor Sport Club, uh, and get all of the inside information before you make any decisions. So again, the website is Razor Sport, R-A-Z-E-R-S-P-O-R-T dot com, and on Twitter at Razor Sport Club. Make sure to support Prime Sport. Make sure to support Razor Sport Club. Make sure to check out our ads on the site also for Bet My Bookie. Support the people who are supporting the site. Always appreciate that. I also want to remind you guys that the podcast is now not just only available on iTunes. It's available on Google Play and on Spotify. So just search Turn on the Jets or Turn on the Jets Digital in those locations. And the podcast in its entirety and our full archives will be available there as well. All right, let's dive into our first interview. First, we'll talk with Danny and then we'll talk with Jared. And we are now back to talk with Danny Kelly of The Ringer, one of the best NFL analysts out there. Danny, thank you for taking the time for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited about it. Talking Jets. Talking... I, was told by, I was told by my editor to be mean to the Jets. That's Sean Fennessy. <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a uh, Jets fan. I thought he kidding. gave up on the Jets at this point. I thought he <laughs> threw in the towel finally. <laughs> He has a funny relationship. Actually, we have a few uh, Jets fans on the Ringer, on the Ringer, uh, you know, NFL team or whatever. Ryan O'Hanlon, another editor, he's a Jets fan, and and Roger Sherman, also a Jets fan. So get a lot of Jets talk in our in our Ringer Slack. It's actually really fun. This is a good thing. Tell them to hold on. There, there's still plenty of us <laughs> who are are hanging on here, kind of like the leftovers, still still waiting very patiently. So <laughs> absolutely. So for someone who covers the NFL, uh, the entire league from a big picture perspective, if you were the Jets, a team who has not made the playoffs in seven years, third longest drought in the NFL, is coming off back-to-back 5-11 and seasons, what should they learn from this past season, and what should they learn from teams who have found success and stability over these past few years? What can they take away to end this drought that is slowly killing all of us Jets fans? <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I think a couple of general themes from this season, and and I think obviously with the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, it kind of put them in the, in the focus. But I mean, obviously sort of the decisions some teams are making to marry the college game with the pro. I mean, you know, the, the Eagles, Eagles offense isn't a quote college offense necessarily, but they, they did a good job of incorporating some of the college style things like spread, spread out looks using uh, running backs as receivers a little bit more. Obviously the run pass option was a big part of their game plan. I think they ran more RPOs than any other team in the NFL this year. So Things like that that make it easier on your quarterback a little bit and, and frankly make it a little bit harder on the defense just because they have to make these impossible decisions essentially anytime you run an RPO. It just basically decides, you know, they have to decide whether they want your, the team to run on you or to pass on you. And so, um, you know, things like that I think are, are kind of the big takeaway for me from this year is the the proliferation, I guess, of the spread style offense in the NFL. And when I say proliferation, it's, you know, not that's that's relative. Obviously, I think, if, you know, if your team is running college style plays one quarter of the time, that's a huge deal in the NFL. And so, you know, I think that's where the NFL is going. There's probably going to be some copycats, you know, going into next year in terms of what what the Eagles did a lot on offense. And, um, you know, I think that's where you start. The other thing that I was going to say and I think actually the Jets did a pretty good job of this last year. And I think it was part of the reason they were more successful early in the year than people expected. And obviously, you know, they did not finish the year strong. But, you know, you getting the most out of sort of mid-tier veteran uh, free agent type players, I think, is kind of going to be another thing that teams do next year. I mean, if you look at what the Eagles were able to do with like LeGarrette Blunt, Chris Long, you know, obviously Nick Foles, um, you know, Patrick Robinson, some of these guys that are the quote middle class of the NFL in terms of, you know, their, their lower level veteran contracts. And a lot of these guys, those, those middle class players are kind of being forgotten as, as the, you know, teams kind of stack their team with big money stars and then rookie contract guys that are making, you know, essentially like the NFL's minimum wage or whatever. So I think there's some value in getting guys of that caliber. Obviously, we saw, you know, last year with the Jets, uh, you know, Jermaine Curse was an example of that. Um, and obviously, McCown, kind of another example of that. And I don't think anyone expected Josh McCown to be kind of as good as he was. But, um, you know, there is some value in that. I think it kind of it can elevate your team. It can add a little bit of experience. And for most teams, you can fit under the cap. Obviously, the Jets have a lot of cap room to work with this offseason. So, um you know, that's another, I think, area that, that teams will probably attack a little bit harder based on what the Eagles were able to do. Yeah, definitely makes sense, although I'm mildly concerned about the Jets repeating their Ryan Fitzpatrick mistake with Josh McCown and <laughs> in, in doubling down in a journeyman veteran right, who had a career right. here. But uh, we'll see how that plays out. Ironically, our two teams, the Seattle Seahawks and New York Jets, have flipped previously unpopular offensive coordinators. The Seahawks have hired <laughs> Brian Schottenheimer, who I guarantee you can't find one Jet fan in this entire country would say something positive about. And I the tried. Je- <laughs> I'm sure you did. And the, find- and the Jets have hired Jeremy Bates, who everyone on the positive side is pointing to his work in 2008 with Denver uh, as such a young coach and someone who showed himself to be an innovative play caller. Bates has actually only been an offensive coordinator once in the NFL prior to this year, and that was actually with your Seattle Seahawks (laughs) in 2010. Now, I know it was a short stint, and I know it was a long time ago, but any thoughts on Jeremy Bates and uh, the part of his career that isn't getting that much coverage uh, in the Jets and sort of local press, which was his actual only time as an NFL offensive coordinator? (laughs) 
Yeah, I wish I could help you more. Honestly, I, I I'm I don't remember very well exactly like how you could characterize his his offenses. I you know the Seahawks were I want to say seven and nine that year, and they snuck into the playoffs anyway. And um, that was a lot of fun. Obviously, there was the the Marshawn Lynch beast quake game where they beat the Saints. I believe that was the year that Jeremy Bates was uh, the offensive coordinator. And um, all I remember of the time in terms of, you know, people were the people were talking about about the offensive coordinators. I just don't think he was a very good fit with Pete Carroll in general, just because um, I don't think he was as committed to the run as Pete Carroll wanted him to be. And I, and I think that to, to me, that's sort of the lasting memory of, of the Bates thing. It's not necessarily that I didn't like him as a play caller. It was that it didn't seem like he was a good fit for what Pete Carroll wanted to do. And, and maybe that's why Carroll likes uh, Schottenheimer because, you know, Schottenheimer has proven over, you know, his, his time as a coordinator that he can double down on the run. And, and you know, there's that story I, I read. I don't know where I read it, but it was basically, you know, um, Schottenheimer was talking about how even though they were losing, they still kept running in the second half because because uh, Rex Ryan wanted to run it 40 times or whatever. It's like that's the kind of commitment I think Carroll wants, you know, from an offensive coordinator. And I, and I don't think he got that from Bates. And so um, my lasting memory is essentially that I think Bates was a little bit too pass happy for Carroll's taste or whatever. And, and there was also some personality questions at the time, like maybe he wasn't rah-rah enough for the for the sort of Carroll style. Um, so I guess, long story short, it, I, I don't remember anything super negative about Bates at the time other than sort of that personality clash and maybe the style clash in terms of what Carroll wanted to do. So um, I know that's not super helpful, but that, that's kind of my lasting memory of Bates. Obviously, he kind of took a sabbatical or something like that afterwards and then kind of found his way back into coaching but um obviously guys can can learn a lot and change over the years and so i i think i'll you know go in go into this year with a little bit of an open mind and and i think you can we'll probably be able to judge him a little bit better going forward obviously yeah ironically i think part of the reason the jets fired john morton and promoted bates is because they thought todd Bowles thought morton was too pass happy so I, i'm curious if bates kind of over course corrects and the jets are, are yeah more, substantially more unhappy and yes he did take a sabbatical you know leading into my thought that you need to walk around the earth for four years before talking yourself <laughs> into becoming christian hackenberg's quarterback coach which is what bates did and here we are now so speaking of quarterback this is all jet fans are understandably talking about this yeah. offseason and in perpetuity basically since they have never really answered the question the most popular course of action among most Jet fans right now seems to be going out and making Kirk Cousins the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. So two questions around him. Do you think that is the Jets' smartest course of action to fixing their longstanding quarterback problem? And when it comes down to it, do you think the Jets are the actual favorite to get Cousins? It seems that, and I don't know if this is because the team is aggressively kind of pushing this narrative, it seems that some media outlets have all of a sudden, since the Alex Smith trade, really shifted and proclaimed the Jets as sort of the front runner ahead of Denver or anybody else. But how do you see this playing hmm. out? Well, to, to answer the first part of your question, um, I mean, it, it's always tough to say, you know, like, should they make him the highest paid quarterback in the NFL? And, and he's obviously going to get that I think you know it's just the way that the quarterback market works at this point is he the best quarterback in the NFL no but I think over the last couple of years he he's kind of he's changed my mind on him uh, I kind of was very reticent to consider him sort of a top tier passer you know I think 
probably like two years ago. And then, la- and then in 2016, he impressed me. And then last year, you know, when he lost a lot of his weapons and, and you know, sort of Washington was in flux a little bit and they just didn't have quite as much oomph on offense. He, I think he still proved that he was a really good quarterback. And so I do think he has the ability to really elevate an offense and, I don't know if carry an offense is the right term necessarily, but I do think he's more than, you know, he's more than just like a, a, a bridge or a uh, game manager type of guy. I think he, he's, he's a gamer. I think he's really, really good. Um, so I do think, I mean, you know, I think he, he would change that team, change that offense significantly. I mean, there's some pretty interesting young players on that offense. Obviously, I don't know what Robbie Anderson's situation going into next year is going to be, but um, you know, he's the first guy that came to mind and, and I think he's kind of an exciting young player. There's some good young receivers and, and I don't know, it's just, it, the question is in the second part of the question though, I think if you look at the team, I don't know if they're necessarily going to be the most attractive destination for a guy like cousins, just based on, I mean, when you're, if you're going to be going, if Minnesota gets into the bidding or if Jacksonville somehow gets into the bidding teams like that, um, I think that could make I think that could put New York at, at a little bit of a disadvantage because obviously they've got those both of those teams have very established defenses, probably far superior offensive weapons in terms of what's around them. There's still questions in, in terms of the offensive line with the Jets and, and kind of where they're going with that in that direction. And so, yeah, I mean, while there's some exciting sort of prospects, I think, for the Jets, they don't really compare in any way to like, you know, you're, you're not going to have a. Uh, a Diggs and Thielen, you know, on the Jets. And you're not going to have uh, that defense for, for the Jags that, that will prop him up and, and give him advantageous situations as a quarterback. So, yeah, I think, but at the end of the day, money does talk. And I don't know, you know, obviously we've heard that Cousins is willing or, or you know, has considered taking a little bit less money for a better situation. But at the end of the day, like if the Jets make him a really, really good offer, it could still be pretty, you know, it could be a relatively attractive situation. All right. Final question before we let you go. Jets GM Mike McCagnin has been their GM for three years now. Uh, teams 20 and 28, uh, one winning season in his first year when he was actually executive of the year. No playoff appearances, no playoff wins. Now heading into this offseason with – probably about $100 million of cap space once I get rid of Muhammad Wilkerson Jeez. and Matt Forte, <laughs> the sixth yeah. overall pick in the draft, two second-round picks. How much time is enough time to give a general manager? Do you think that yeah. it's fair to classify year four as sort of a make-or-break year for McCagnin? This team needs to show tangible strides and take a step towards answering quarterback and pass rusher, which have still not been answered to this point. How do you sort of evaluate where he's at big picture? And is, are the jets nearing that time where they need to take a hard look at whether they made the right decision or not? I think it's starting to get there. And, and you, you, you alluded to it. It's to me, like every GM or every sort of front office regime ends up for better or for worse getting judged by what they do at quarterback right like if you take russell wilson out of the john schneider equation how good of a how good of a gm do you think that he would be probably perceived because he's had some pretty questionable draft classes over the last few years he's made some interesting decisions in terms of trades and free agency um but for the most part i mean he obviously still 
is considered one of the best GMs in the NFL because of what he did with early classes in terms of Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman, those guys, and then deciding to go with Russell Wilson and, and kind of Russell Wilson turning into a star. And, you know, obviously having a Super Bowl, two Super Bowl appearances helps a lot. Um, but a big part of the reason they were able to do that is because of Russell Wilson. So I think it, it just really comes down to what they do at the quarterback position. I think you probably still, you could give him another year or two um, to try and figure that situation out, figure out the quarterback situation. But yeah, I mean, if you know that that's the biggest deal, that's you got to find a quarterback and, and until you can do that or until you can prove that you have an eye for it. And obviously, you know, the Christian Hackenberg decision sort of weighs heavily against him probably at this point. And obviously Petty hasn't really shown much either. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think you kind of look at it like, well, you got to take a lot of swings at it before you can hit a quarterback. That's one side of the equation. And the other side is like, he's over two. <laughs> so, you know, potentially over more just based on what they've done otherwise. So yeah, it's to me, it's, they got to give him time to, I guess, take a couple more swings at the quarterback position. But to me, that's always what, GMs are judged upon and and obviously a good quarterback could could swing the fortunes of the Jets you know drastically so again yeah that, that's just kind of what it lands on to me I think obviously there's hits and misses if you look at the rest of the roster but um, the big glaring hole right now is quarterback Danny Kelly of the ringer thank you for taking the time for joining us today everyone make sure to follow him on Twitter at Danny B Kelly Hey, good luck with Schottenheimer this season, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure to talk at some other point during the year when you're frustrated with enough three-yard curl routes on third and eight. <laughs> God, sounds great. Thanks, man. Right, thanks, man. And now we're joined by Jared Tokars. He's at NFL Draft Insider on Twitter, uh, a guy who deals with the NFL Draft year-round, 24-7, and has posted a lot of different interesting little tidbits about what to expect in the coming few months leading into draft day. Jared, thank you for taking the time for joining us. Joe, thanks for having me. So, obviously, my New York Jets... Have the sixth overall pick in the NFL draft. I think a lot of people expect them to be in the Kirk Cousins running. Putting that aside, what have you heard that would be relevant to the Jets picking at the sixth spot? As in, is anybody, do you think anybody is likely to try to jump over them to get a quarterback? How early do you think the quarterbacks are going to go in this draft? And if a quarterback isn't, isn't an option for the Jets because they signed Cousins, who are some other guys who could be good value with that sixth spot? I mean, sure. I I think personally that there's going to be four quarterbacks drafted when, within those first six picks. Um, obviously, a lot rides on if where Kirk Cousins is going. Um, it's it's tough to tell now. You hear you hear Broncos, you hear Jaguars, you hear Jets. Um, but putting that aside, um, Jets sitting at number six. Um, with the Broncos sitting right right before them, it's it's very interesting to to figure out what what the Broncos are going going to do to figure out what the Jets are going to do. Um, if the Broncos go Baker Mayfield, I think Baker Mayfield is a better prospect than Josh Allen. Um, everyone that I've talked to, um, especially when we're at the Senior Bowl, um, very he, he's a leader. Everyone he's got that energy where. All prospects rally around him, or all players rally around him, and, and he's that natural leader. He's he's got the best accuracy out of the class. And when when people when people are concerned about his height, right, right, six foot, and and it, 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 it's been a concern. It's been his number one knock. 
But I, I recently we, we took a look at his actual passes batted down by the by what well, the def- defensive line. Right, he's he's actually uh, he's actually below any other quarterback in the class in terms of getting passes batted down. So I don't think that's a real worry. I think he's actually um, if he's there at the Jets at six, they have to pick him. Uh, if the Broncos take him, I, I I think the Jets now have a conversation whether it's going to be. Him or someone like uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, who's who is the most dynamic defensive player on the on the, on the board. So, uh, free agency is going to play a large part, and from there, it's going it, for the Jets. It's going to play a large part in what the Broncos do. How many total quarterbacks do you think will go in the first round? And you know, looking at a guy like Josh Allen, someone most Jet fans are terrified of them taking, myself included. Where do you think he eventually settles into going? There's been rumors of him being in the discussion for the first pick. Uh, some people have him mocked around 15 or 16. Between him and Lamar Jackson and Mason Rudolph, do you think those guys also get into the first round discussion? And is that more in the back half of the first round or early day two picks? Yeah, I think Josh Allen's going to be closer to, 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 towards the first half. He's going to fit best with a team that has a solidified starter and that he can sit behind and learn. He's got a cannon, and, and everyone's talked to him. Like he's probably he's the strongest arm we've seen in a while. Um, at the same time, you look at his stats, like the things I'm concerned about Josh Allen is he played Oregon. He went, he went I think, three for 16 or three for 19 against a good team. And everyone's like, oh, he didn't have the supporting cast around him. Uh, but this, at the same time, you look at that, and, and it's, it's worry of, of, you know, you're drafting a franchise quarterback if, if – you know they can't perform against divi- real Division One talent, one A talent. Uh, that's a concern. Um, and and those accuracy concerns have, have always been there for Allen. Um, with that, with with that said, and Lamar Jackson, I think he's Lamar Jackson is going to be a, a late first round pick. I think so. I, I think five QBs will be drafted in the first round, maybe six, um, and and then you know the Mason Rudolph will be early second. As always, every single year, QBs teams reach for QBs, and it happens every single year. Um, Lamar Jackson is, is an interesting prospect. Um, he, he he has the big arm. He's he's got the legs. Uh, you just worry at, at QBs. Uh, they're always criticized a, a little bit more, and, and you really see real success out of them. Um, but for the first round, to answer your question, I I think five or six. QBs will be in the first round, which is which is heavy, but I, I think that's going to stand. Where overall, where is this class particularly deep, and where is it particularly sha- shallow? Obviously, the Jets have a need basically at every position, maybe outside of safety. Um, but overall, sure. where is this class notably deep, where you maybe don't need to reach for a position in the early rounds, and where is it particularly shadow, uh, shallow overall? Sure. Uh, the deepest... It is running back. Running back is so deep in this class, and I don't think we've seen it this deep since since ever since I've covered covered the draft since 2011. Um, it uh, you you can get a quality maybe Kareem Hunt type running back in, in you know in the mid rounds, and I know that's very attractive to a team like the Jets. Um, even even in the second round, I, I think a good option for the Jets might be someone like a Ronald Jones who can do it all and, and in terms of receiving out of the backfield and, and just being an uh, all-purpose type running back. Uh, he's, an, he's an attractive person, especially to the Jets. Running back's very solid. Where it's weak, actually, for the first time in a while, is, is wide receiver. Um, you have the Calvin Ridley, who, who 
honestly didn't put up numbers that you would expect to as, as a top wide receiver. You have a Cortland, uh, Cortland Sutton out of SMU, but as a total wide receivers is a little weak than, than you would expect, especially for, um, you know, coming to NFL being a majority passing league. That seems a little weak. Um, but, but those are the two that kind of glare the most. Uh, running back is, is so deep. And, th- and that's why everyone's having the conversations around Saquon Barkley. Uh, he's one of the best running back prospects to come out. But could you get uh, almost comparative running back later in the rounds? So it's, it's a difficult conversation. But running back and wide receivers seem to be the, the comparative strong and, and weak. Focusing in on the, the top of the draft, if you had to guess now, how do the top three picks play out? Do the Giants ultimately take a quarterback? Which way does Cleveland go? Does anybody try to jump in for number three to take the cold spot if they're feeling comfortable with luck? Yeah, so I think I – ha- I, personally, I think Browns go Darnold. One, because he's, he's a blue-collar type guy who, who loves football, wants to succeed, and, and wants to turn around the franchise. I think – uh, two Giants go Rosen, and then three. I mean, looking at the Colts, I, I would not be surprised they trade back for a team that needs a quarterback, right? For someone that's eyeing uh, Mayfield. Uh, but if, if they stay there, um, they're looking at Quentin Nelson, uh, the the guard out of the Colts. They're looking at Bradley Chubb, the DN for NC State, and they're looking at Saquon Barkley, the running back. Um, I think Barkley would be a smart pick there to kind of give luck the, the the weapon he needs, especially with, you know, Frank Wright coming in there and, and kind of putting his trust into luck and giving him this new weapon. I, I think that makes a lot of sense there. Um, that's kind of how we see the first three pick going, for sure. Who is a player that nobody's really talking about right now that will end up going and say, like, the top 10 to 12 picks that, you know, is not being given enough love in most mock drafts or most top 10 teams' discussions? Yeah, sure. I mean, this person's being talked about in, in a lot of the, the draft Twitter community, and, and I don't know how, how plugged in your listeners are, but uh, Marcus Davenport, uh, he's the DN uh, linebacker out of, um, uh, um, excuse me, uh, University of Texas, San Antonio. He had a great senior bowl. He has a look of almost like of a, jo- a Javon Curtis, if you remember, like the freak. Uh, very... He's, he's got the size coming off the edge. He's got the speed. He's coming from a school that you, you've never heard of, but he'll be a top 10 pick, and he's going to uh, wreak havoc on, def- uh, on offenses coming um, forward. So it, Marcus Davenport is, is someone that is going to be in that top 10 that you might not have heard before. All right, final question before we let you go, and just sort of, a, I guess, a wide-ranging prediction. If, you, if a Jet fan came up to you today and said, all right, we have the sixth pick in the draft, factor everything in, free agency – who are, in your estimation, the two people they are most likely to end up with? What would you say? So, looking at the sixth pick, if Baker Mayfield is there, as a Jets fan, I want Baker Mayfield. One being, um, on a recent interview with uh, Johnny Manziel, uh, granted we don't know Johnny Manziel and his issues, but he had said that, that Josh McCown was, was probably the, most per- the person that he learned the most from in terms of the NFL, in terms of we're preparing, and he said Josh McC- uh, Josh McCown w- w- was there to, to really help him. And I think you put Baker Mayfield in that spot. Um, and everything I've talked to with scouts and NFL person- personnel saying how much they love Baker Mayfield, 
one, he, he's the best competitor um, out of the whole entire class. He, everyone rallies around him. Granted, his size, I don't, uh, yeah, it's an issue, but you can look past it. His accuracy. I, I think if Baker Mayfield is six, the, the Jets need to pick him. If if Broncos end up taking him, then it comes to a question like, do you take Josh Allen? Josh Allen is is a longer term project. Um, he's going to need, I, I think, at least three or four years before he can really develop into that quarterback. He's got the huge arm. Accuracy is an issue, um, and and he's coming from a, a, a school a system that is not used to seeing NFL type talent. Um, if Baker Mayfield's there, that's that's the the Jets' dream pick. If not, you got you got to decide between whether it's make a fit. Patrick's still there, whether potentially Barkley could still be there, and, and potentially uh, Josh Allen as well. All right, Jared, thank you for joining us. Everyone, make sure to go follow him on Twitter, at NFL Draft Insider. Hey, we'll make sure to talk to you again before uh, we hit uh, NFL Draft Night. Thanks again. For sure. Thanks, guys.